Welcome to the Monterey Podcast. For more information, check out our website at montereychurch.com. Well, good morning. Thank you, all ten of you. Before we start this morning, I want to be uh, transparent. Uh, I, I don't want to use other people's ideas without giving them the credit. And so I want to make sure that I say from the beginning of this that many of the big ideas you're going to hear today are not my original thoughts. Uh, I think most people who preach or teach um, often find trying to find that line to make sure that they're not taking from other people. And so I want to give credit where it is due. Uh, many of the big ideas were poured into me through other amazing people who spoke truth to me. And so I want to give credit to that, uh, one being Jim Beck, who uh, brought about some of these big ideas, and Aaron Dawson being another person who brought about some of these big ideas for me, on top of um, some ideas and teachings that come from material from Ray Vanderlaan and Marty Solomon. So I want to give credit where credit is due before we get started. Since it's Palm Sunday, I want to tell you a story about another parade, about a parade of when I was a kid living in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, not every year, but a lot of years, we used to go to the Thanksgiving Day Parade in downtown Nashville. And so we would go down there, and uh, the, the, the big floats would come by being pulled by trucks and stuff, and people would be on the floats throwing out candy to us, and all the kids were out there trying to pick up the candy and everything else. And I, just to be honest with you, I, I didn't really enjoy it that much. It was cold most of the time, and the candy they threw out was pretty nasty. It was leftover probably from Halloween from a couple years ago or maybe even the, the Thanksgiving before and it was stale. It was too hard when it should have been soft and soft and gooey when it should have been hard. The parade was always in the afternoon, late afternoon on Thanksgiving Day. And so we would get up and we would watch TV watching the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And you'd see these beautiful floats going by, these uh, ornate, beautifully decorated people on them singing. And then you'd have these huge balloons that are being tethered down by people holding them of cartoon characters from TV shows I watched as a kid. Then we would eat, stuff our bellies till we were miserable, and then go downtown to watch the, da the Nashville Thanksgiving Day Parade, a parade that in comparison to Macy's Day Parade was a sad, uh, depressing display of Christmas. But like every kid watching any Thanksgiving Day Parade, there's something that you're waiting for, something you can't wait for, and it's always at the very end. And so as a kid, you're always waiting for Santa Claus to come at the very end. And no matter what else, no matter how nasty the candy, no matter how cold, you got excited. Because here comes Santa, music blaring, trumpets, drums banging, this huge sleigh as it's coming down with these wonderful plastic reindeer being pulled, behind, being pulled in front. And it was this awesome, magnificent time as a kid to watch. It was the one thing about the parade that I actually enjoyed what came at the very end. Now, I want to tell you about a different parade, one that we often don't think about as much as we should. The gates open and the procession begins. Thousands line the street, throwing flowers and waving madly, reaching out to touch power as it passes them. Security people are watching the crowd for dissidents and agitators or zealots or people who may be intent on doing harm. The man coming through the gate is sitting tall in the saddle, looking every bit the champion he is meant to be. A mantle of authority rests easily on his shoulders as he climbs higher into the center of the city, taking his rightful place as Lord and protector of these people. 
This parade I just described took place 2,000 plus years ago during what we call Holy Week. And no, it's not that parade. It's not the parade and the triumphal entry of Jesus. This parade, this other parade, is actually the triumphal entry of Pontius Pilate into Jerusalem. Have you not heard about the parade of Pontius Pilate going into Jerusalem? Well, it doesn't surprise me. It's not something that we find in our Bibles, but it's something that history recorded. And the book called Last Week is a fascinating look at the world that Jesus is wanting to change. The book begins as we do on Palm Sunday, and it begins with the comparison and the look at two different parades that would have taken place the week of Passover, the week beginning with Palm Sunday. So Pontius Pilate was the regional Roman governor of this area. His job was to maintain control. His job was to maintain peace and calm as he ruled the region of Judea, specifically that the city of Jerusalem was placed within. Rome had previously subjugated the Israelite people into its Roman Empire. And as regional governor of Judea, Pilate's main concern was what happened in Jerusalem during holy days, during festivals, when emotions ran high, when those who, the Jews who may have been subjugated under the Roman rule, began to get frustrated being under their thumb and wanted and may want to overthrow their Roman oppressors. Pilate's title, his very life, depended upon keeping the peace, maintaining order in this little part of the empire, particularly during the festival of Passover that began with Palm Sunday. Passover was a festival when tens of thousands, potentially up to a million Jews, descended upon Jerusalem for the purpose of coming to bring their sacrifices, their offerings for the sins of their families and themselves. Passover was a festival that celebrated the delivery from another empire, that Israel was delivered from another empire that had subjugated them in their past, it was Egypt. So you can imagine a Roman Empire had done the same thing, is worried about a festival that its whole purpose is to celebrate delivery from a different empire. So there's this moment that's going on at this time, this moment that began during the festival of Passover each year where Jerusalem carried the potential for an explosive revolt against the empire of Rome. So each year, Pilate would come in from where he lived outside the city would come in, make the 60-mile trip into Jerusalem, accompanied by hundreds of Roman soldiers in a parade meant to remind the Jews that they may be God's people, but Rome was their master. Traditionally, Pilate paraded into Jerusalem on the first day of Passover week, entering into the West Gate. Pilate would enter into Jerusalem with legions of chariots, horses, foot soldiers, dressed in armor, carrying swords, carrying spears, armed in order to show something specific, to show Rome's authority, and that it would not be questioned. Pilate entered the front door of the city that was meant to inspire awe, inspire fear, inspire respect, and obedience. Roman law was most certainly going to be observed during this festival. Now, for Jesus' parade, 
We have scripture that tells us a lot about what happens. As a matter of fact, this is told in all four Gospels. But for this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 12. So you can turn your Bibles to John 12. Open up the warm glow of your tablet or your device to read from. We'll have it on the screens also. We're going to start in John 12, verse 12. The next day, a great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified, after he had raised from the dead, been taken into heaven, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So you have all this going on in the backdrop. There were two parades going on. One where the Jews are watching that day as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. They would have most certainly had in the back of their mind, either the year before or that year, earlier that day or earlier that week, they would have had in their mind Pilate's procession coming in at the same time. And his procession that would have been about fear and power and control, they would have obviously seen the comparison between what's happening on one side of the city to the other side. Two different directions, exact opposite sides of the city. Pilate coming into the western gate, Jesus coming into the eastern gate. Pilate, as history would have told us, would have been riding a white stallion, Jesus riding a donkey. The white stallion was ridden with when a conqueror comes home after a victory in battle against a conquered people. It symbolized power and control over those that they conquered. Pilate knew exactly what he was portraying when he decided to enter with that parade that day. The donkey, on the other hand, represents something very different. It represents something the opposite. It was written when a leader was coming in peace, when they put themselves in a position of humility and vulnerability. Jesus' triumphal entry was a different vision of what kingdom was supposed to be. It stood in contrast to the magnificence, to the power, to the fear and the control that was on display on the opposite side of the city. Jesus brings peace. Pilate brings a sword. Now, here's the question. You have the people who are on the side where Jesus is coming in, and they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us, save us. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel as they're proclaiming this. These people who were there, did they understand what Jesus was bringing into the city that day? Did they understand what his purpose was? Did they believe that he was bringing a sword for battle? Or did they believe he was bringing peace into the city that day? Pilate on one side entering Jerusalem, bringing with him an empire. Flipped him over again. And now this empire that Pilate's bringing with him represented, as we've already mentioned, this idea of power and control. 
People shouting, save us, save us. Those people who are shouting that, are they more interested in what peace may be being brought out by Jesus? Or are they more interested in power and control? Because Pilate's coming in most certainly showing the idea of Roman empire, of Roman control, of Roman power to show them who is boss in this case. And so as the people are shouting, save us, save us, are they looking for peace or are they looking for the exact same thing? But yet they want Jesus maybe to overthrow this empire to recreate an empire in their own image, to go back to what they've always had versus what is being laid out before them. Do they want to create an empire in their own image with their own power and their own control? Were they looking at Jesus from an earthly position or a heavenly position? They see Jesus, but do they know Jesus? And how often do we today, how often do we see Jesus, we read about Jesus, we talk about Jesus, but how often do we can find ourselves, honestly, can find ourselves not really knowing Jesus? How often do we, like those people then, say all the right words, do all the right things, shouting externally or internally, save us, save us, my king. But in reality, what we're really wanting, what we're really praying for and begging for is power and control over our own lives. I want to give you an example of this in our everyday life that happens. And it's a, it's a, a, a crazy, wild um, thing that's happening in the last couple of years called cancel culture. Many of you have probably seen it. If you're on social media, it's almost impossible to avoid. You've probably heard about it on the news, the things that are happening. The fact that we have this term, the fact that we use this term in our everyday life is pretty amazing. So here's what cancel culture is. Someone does something that's bad or they're accused of something bad or perceived to have done something bad. It doesn't matter sometimes on any of those different accounts. They may all be represented the same way. They make a mistake and some of these mistakes, in all honesty, are atrocious mistakes. They make them and we as a culture go about canceling them. What I mean by canceling is we will belittle them, we will dishonor them, we will heap shame upon them to the point where they will no longer be allowed to take part in our culture. What we would often at that point and say the way we're doing that is our empire. And why is this part an empire? Because we have decided by our own power and control, we have decided by our own power and control, our own viewpoint that this person is no longer worthy to take part in our lives, in our society, to be a part of our culture. And make no mistake, we sitting here, we can try to say we don't do this, but we honestly probably do this probably every day we struggle with this with people who disagree. When someone says something that's disagreeing with me, they don't agree with what I'm saying. It's something I'm really passionate about. And we may or may not say it to their face. We may not disagree to their face. We may not cancel them to their face. But we certainly will do it in our hearts and in our minds. We will dismiss another person simply because they don't see it the way that we see it. And we decide they aren't worthy anymore. One of our teens, Elise King, put it this way when talking about social media. You do one thing, one thing, good or bad, and you are either celebrated or canceled. And then she said this, hear this, one of our teens said this, is this how we define our identity? It's scary to hear her say that. Do we think sometimes that I'm going to prove how right I am by how wrong and bad you are? 
And what do I do if I don't agree? What, if, what happens if that person completely and totally disagrees with me? What do I do with that? Do I go praise Jesus on Sunday, but on Monday I go and tear you apart on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat? Is this how we engage in peace and a donkey? Or do we engage in it from a perspective of power and control? And why do we do that? We do it because we feel like someone's trying to take away my personal empire. Somehow we start to believe that we deserve the white stallion and that the donkey is beneath us. Do we find ourselves saying and doing all the right things, going through all the motions, but in reality all we really want is for Jesus to bring us glory, us success against our perceived enemies? Keegan Stewart in class said something that I loved. He said, Jesus says to pray for our enemies, to love our enemies. How about we start trying, let's, let's love the people that annoy me. Because in Matthew 5, Jesus doesn't say we cancel them. He says we love them. So if this is empire, if this right here is empire, what does the other side look like? What is the other side? What is it that Jesus is trying to tell them? What is it that Jesus is trying to show them with the way he's entering into this? Because it's very easy to interpret this way. He's actually fulfilling prophecy that would have said, your king is coming, but they're interpreting it their own way based upon power and control and what they want. What Jesus is trying to show is a kingdom of shalom. And shalom, in this case, represents something that is called peace and surrender. It's not peace as we define it, but as he defines it. Freedom from slavery, not physical slavery, not the chaos that may be going around us, but the spiritual captivity we have because we create our own empire. A slavery of our own sin and shame. Jesus is humiliated by his own people to bring us honor. Jesus is beaten and flogged to bring us honor. Jesus died a criminal's death on a cross to bring us honor. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey to save us from ourselves, to show us that it's not about empire, power, and control, but it's about surrender to his power and control that brings us true peace, that brings us true honor, that brings us true freedom. It brings us shalom. Everything about Jesus as he's entering Jerusalem that day screams peace, shalom, freedom. If only we had eyes to see and ears to hear. Jesus, as he's riding in, Luke's gospel tells us, as Jesus is riding in, he looks up at the city of Jerusalem and he begins to weep. And he says this, Luke 19, 42, if you... Even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, what would bring you shalom. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The people that day could only see physical freedom, and they too chose empire. It's just an empire of their own making. It's just an empire of our own making. 
And this is not a new concept. This idea of empire and shalom, power, control, and peace and surrender is not something that's new. This is found in almost every story throughout Scripture. One of the most obvious ones is we're celebrating Palm Sunday. When they were celebrating the triumphal entry, what they were celebrating was the beginning of Passover. And what is Passover? Passover is simply that tradition, that that festival, that celebration of when God released them from Egypt, from another empire. The Jews are crying out to God to save us, save us. And he sends 10 plagues in order to rescue them through Moses to pull them out of Egypt. They come out of Egypt and where do they go? They leave the empire to go into a wilderness. What's in the wilderness? God waiting for them. Now, it's one of the most interesting parts of this is that we talk about this. It's one of my favorite quotes is that when God takes them out, he knows he has to do something because he can take them out of Egypt, but now he has to take the Egypt out of his people, right? And that's what the wilderness does. It's what Aaron was talking about last week. So we have this one right here where God is pulling them out of empire into a wilderness to change and transform them. But there's even another one. There's tons of them. But the one where you go back to the very beginning, you go back to the garden and you find Adam and Eve. And there they are sitting in a garden with a choice. Choice to choose God, to choose him, to choose peace with him, to choose connection and relationship with him, or they have a choice to choose themselves, their own power, their own control. This is the choices that they're left with. And they choose empire. They choose to do what they want to do. They choose themselves. And what does God do? God takes them out of Eden, takes them out of a now created in their own image empire, what they wanted, removes them from it, not as a huge punishment for them, but in order to save them. Because if they stay in the empire they created, they can eat from the tree of life and live forever with the guilt and the shame that they carry with them. So he takes them out of this beautiful garden into where? A wilderness. A wilderness where? With him. So that he can move them to a place out of empire and get the empire out of them into a place of shalom. God removes them from the garden because they had created it in their own image. Leaving the garden was a physical and spiritual movement. Have no doubt the garden was an exodus. Just as much as we go to Egypt and this physical, literal Egypt that's being pulled out of there and this whole thing to go into the wilderness. And then you get back to Palm Sunday. Jesus entering into Jerusalem was about a deliverance from an empire, not physical, but spiritual. It was the re-entry into the proverbial, the figurative garden again, what they would have called Jerusalem for the purpose of redeeming, reconciling what was broken humanity with God. Jesus, in opposition to the choices that Adam and Eve made, Jesus chooses to surrender to God's will to save humanity from its own self-chosenness, as we saw in the garden. And we've come full circle back to Palm Sunday. Now, I'd like for us to take a moment and be honest with ourselves. I want us to be honest with ourselves and admitting that we face the same decisions every single day as the people sitting at the triumphal entry. The same as Israel in the wilderness coming out. The same as Egypt. The same as Adam and Eve in the garden. Will we trust the story that God's creating 
Or will we trust the story that we want to create and take for ourselves? Every single day we are living between two kingdoms, two different kingdoms. And I want to show you this quick video of this, this choice that we're left with, this choice that this kid makes, this beautiful choice that he makes that displays the idea of shalom beautifully. Give your attention to the screens. We end tonight with the final play of a baseball game because, as you're about to see, it was one class act. Here's Jim Axelrod. The most talked about strikeout in the country has nothing to do with winning and losing. Minnesota high school pitcher Ty Kane has provided us all a master class in how you play the game. I never thought a story like this would blow up the way it did. Last week, Ty's team advanced to the state tournament when he struck out Jack Koken looking on a 2-2 fastball that nicked the outside corner. I really felt for him, and I just felt it was right to go over there and, and say something. That's right. Watch Ty. While his teammates from Moundsview High erupted in celebration, Ty waved off his own catcher to attend to more pressing business, hugging the kid he had just struck out. Now, the pitcher could have gone and celebrated with his team. The pitcher could have gone and celebrated. They won. They fought for this. They have, they have worked hard to get to this point. He could have gone and celebrated with his team. And there would have been nothing wrong with that, except he knew someone was hurting. And he had a choice to make. He could choose to go celebrate with his teammates and choose what he most wanted in a moment, or he could ask the question that we too often skip over, that the people in the triumphal entry skipped over, that we skip over on a regular basis. Who is the one who is hurting? Who is the one who needs shalom? And that kid waves off his own teammate, his own catcher, to give peace and shalom to that kid. This is what makes me sad about that video clip. We all watch that clip and we see it and we go, that is amazing. That is an extraordinary act that somebody did. But should it be extraordinary? Shouldn't that in our Christian lives be the norm? Be what we, the ordinary, what we're always trying to do, what we're always striving for. Asking the question, who's the one hurting? Rather than trying to grasp for our own control, power, or reputation. Who's the one hurting that needs peace and shalom? Because to choose God's shalom is to enter into the chaos and not be overwhelmed by it. We can still be in the midst of a crazy world, but we surrender to God's power and control in our lives rather than grasping for our own. To choose my own empire is to delude myself that I can control the chaos at any, at, at any time. That I have any power and control. Palm Sunday, this upcoming week that we're about to enter into going to Easter, is a time to consider the ways we might, we might be trying to control our own story. And by trying to control that story, are we becoming complicit with an empire of shame and a culture grasping for power and control at the expense of our God, ourselves, and other people? 
Realizing our complicity allows us to turn and surrender to walk with the humble one who rode a donkey into magnificent defeat on behalf of all those who longed for a better kingdom, who here does not long for a better kingdom. Pray with me. Father God, we, we come before you this morning. We present ourselves not to just grab a hold and glean something, not because of anything, any song that was sung, any message that was given, but because we want to pour out, to surrender to you and what you want. And I pray, God, we have the confidence to walk out knowing you're going to fill us up, that you've done extraordinary things in order to to honor us, to save us, to give us grace. God, may we look at this world and look for what we call extraordinary and make it ordinary. The way that we choose to ask the question, who's the one hurting rather than us making it about ourselves? May we make it about your kingdom. Showing people the peace, the true peace that comes from you. That we have this this thread of hope that is Jesus who displayed beauty, humility, on a cross, on a donkey. May we honor you in the same way that you have honored us. Help us to seek your face, Father, not grasping, trying to make ours look better. We praise you for Jesus. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.